Welcome to the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, where we have open and honest conversations about co-parenting, separation, divorce, and the hardest question of all, should you stay or should you go? I'm Kate Anthony, your Divorce Survival Guide, and I'm here to help you navigate some of the roughest waters you've ever swum in and answer some of your toughest questions. I've been to hell and back, and now it's my mission in life to help you get to the other side of this process with your sanity and your heart intact. Hey everyone, welcome back. I really want you to take a breath for a second. I want you to put those earbuds a little bit deeper in your ears. I want you to grab yourself a cup of tea, another cup of coffee, whatever you need, and settle in for this one because this one is important. (laughs) This is one of my best friends. And she is, she's amazing. She is a speaker. She's a life coach. She is an author. She's a hellraiser. Andrea Owen is creating a global impact in women's empowerment with her books being translated into 18 languages, y'all, and available in 22 countries. She helps high achieving women maximize unshakable confidence and master resilience. You can learn more at andreaowen.com. But you should also check out her podcast, which is Your Kick-Ass Life. She is the proud author of How to Stop Feeling Like Shit, 14 Habits That Are Holding You Back from Happiness, which has been translated into 18 languages, as I said. And new book is coming out. Like, it is it is coming out as this episode is airing. And it's called Make Some Noise, Speak Your Mind, and Own Your Strength. And listen, guys, this this is why Andrea and I are so close, because we have the same, we have actually honed our feminist ideologies and our empowerment of women in this space together over the years. And she's been an integral part of my development and the building of my business and my fierce feminism as I think I have been for her as well. And we've really come a long way (laughs) on this journey over the last, I don't know, five to 10 years together. So I'm really, really, really excited to bring you uh, my interview with my dear friend, Hellraiser extraordinaire, Andrea Owen. Hey, Andrea. Thanks for coming back on. Hi, Kate. Thanks for having me on again. It's been a few years. It's been, I know, I know it has. I know. I'm excited though, because this, you have a new book coming out, which is. I do. Exciting. Your third book. And you walked with me through the process of the idea coming to fruition. So it's Mm -hmm. even more exciting to come and get to talk to you and everybody listening. I know. I know. For those of you who have not read Andrea's first two books, you better get on that. (laughs) And and her first book is 52 Ways to Live a Kick-Ass Life. And the second book is How to Stop Feeling Like Shit. Come on, y'all. Also correct. You really got to read these books. And then this book is Make Some Noise. Yeah. I just love, I love the title. Thank you. 
Yeah. Originally, this book also had a curse word in the title, and my editor was like, "Let's let's maybe not." <laughs> this one, I was like, I just wanted to keep the trend, but yes, it was on the list of of brainstorming titles, and and as you know, women stepping into their power is an act of rebellion and making noise. So, hence the title. Absolutely, absolutely, and so perfect for my audience. So, all right, let's start off with what made you what made you decide to write this book, and mm-hmm. why now? A few things happened that spawned the idea, and then prompted me to take action on it. I felt like, well, let me back up a little bit. So 2016 happened. And I think for many of us, what happened it, in 2016? It was <laughs> well, also my about? dad died. Like, that oh. was awful. Was that 2016? It was 2016. It was, oh, wow. he passed away on October 16th. So his funeral, which you were at, and you're such mm-hmm. a good friend mm-hmm. was about a week before the 2016 election. Oh my God. And oh. It was a big year for, I think, a lot of us. And I mean, even if you're not super politically conscious and involved, you couldn't escape what was happening socially and culturally. And then 2017 happened with the Me Too movement. Then 2018 happened with the Kavanaugh hearings and and so many things in between that. And, And for me personally, it was traumatizing. All of it was traumatizing. A lot of learning going on, but a, a lot of upheaval of my own past experiences, things that I didn't know were traumatic that got kicked up, which I think happened for a lot of people, especially mm-hmm. women. Yep. 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 And during that time, my second book came out in 2018. And I was, after that, I was thinking about my next book. And I came to the conclusion that I could not, you know, in good faith, write another women's empowerment book without talking about the elephant in the room. And that is our culture. I'm, I'm obsessed with getting to the root of the problem. I'm like, let's just be sister. efficient <laughs> this is and, why we're such and friends. fix it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I'm like, let's not, you know, beat around the bush and dance around things. And I came to realize over those handful of years that I was talking about is that a lot of what women struggle with, a lot of what coaches like us are talking about in this industry is rooted in patriarchy. Yep. And that's why I wrote this book because I'm like, I can't, I can't keep like shaking my fist and yelling girl power without really pointing at what the problem is and hopefully helping women unlearn all of these things we've been conditioned and socialized to believe about ourselves, to believe about our our role in society and relearn new ways of being. Yeah. Amen, sister. It's Amen, tricky sister. though. It is tricky. And you and I have had, you know, numerous conversations as friends and colleagues over over the last five, six years about this, right? Like mm-hmm. we we've walked this path together. And I think, you know, we're both in such similar places with this, right? And you have never been the women's empowerment coach who is satisfied with toxic positivity, right? All of all of that stuff. You know, mm-hmm. you've always dug deeper. And that's one of the things, yeah. Tried well, to, you at have, least. but you yeah. have, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, always. Thank you. All right. So let's talk about what it means to for women to make some noise. Your first two chapters are about taking up space, right? And we're talking about shining, shining too bright, mm-hmm. right? And I think any woman who hears that, those two phrases right now are like, uh huh. <laughs> The, like idea the idea of, of shining too bright and taking up space <laughs> is like you go first. super uncomfortable, right? <laughs> like, right. 
terrifying for many. So scary. Why? Why why is this so hard for us? Well, I think part of it is because survival. I tell the anecdote in the book about my mom telling me the story in the 1960s. So she was married to her first husband and had my older brother and sister. She was very young and left him because it was a terrible, abusive marriage and had to get a job. And her boss would chase her around the desk. I'm like, this that sounds like a cartoon. And she's like, no, he would chase me around the desk all uh-huh, in good uh-huh. fun. And she's like, I couldn't say anything. I would have lost my job. I had to go and play along with it. And and I think that's a that's a minor thing that happened as compared to what what has happened in the workplace decades prior and still goes on today for women. We've had to conform as a means of survival. I talk about the punishment versus reward in the book as well as when we conform, when we quote unquote play by the rules, Mm -hmm. we are rewarded. We're rewarded with protection. We're rewarded by being closer to people at the top. And when we go against the grain, when we make some noise, when we embrace our power and shine too bright and take up space, many times we are punished for it. I was fired. Fired every time. That's why I couldn't work in corporate America. (laughs) I I, I was too. Like Partly why I'm an entrepreneur now, because I was written up for insubordination, for speaking up, for... Yep. Questioning authority. And and granted, like I had a big old attitude and chip <laughs> on my shoulder when I was in my late teens and early twenties. I don't think it was completely unwarranted. <laughs> but and sometimes, you know, we have intergenerational trauma from the women who have come before us where we we we're not sure what's going on, but we unconsciously feel in our bodies that it is unsafe. And I say all that because I don't want women to think right. that it's their fault, you know, that they are right. just not brave enough that they just need to do x y and z and then they can get everything that they want. This is this is this happens on a deep level. This fear of right. shining too bright mm-hmm. and garnering attention. There's a reason that women who take up space are called attention whores. It's it's meant to keep us right? small and in our place. You know, and then it gets more on the surface level of and, and the more obvious reasons that we don't is because we see what happens online when women give their opinion or push back or talk about feminist Things or, or really any kind of idea or opinion, oftentimes they are ridiculed for their appearance mm-hmm, and their body, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. their ideas, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> the short answer is it's right. scary. It's terrifying. It's terrifying to take up space and shine brightly. Yeah. I remember just a quick sort of anecdote that like I used to work on Wall Street. I don't think anyone, I don't think I've really talked about that, but I used to work on Wall Street. Mm-hmm. I worked for I didn't a- even know that about you. I, like I, I don't even know you. <laughs> I worked. Am, am I allowed to say this is my podcast? I can say whatever the fuck I want, right? I worked at Goldman you can do Sachs. Whatever you want. Yeah. In 97, 96, 97, and then again in 2000. And in 2000, I was, I worked at Goldman Sachs. I worked for another company and we were contracted by Goldman. So we worked in, internally. We just weren't paid the Goldman dollars. And my company was like not paying us the bonus that they had pro- was like in our contracts that we got this bonus at the end of the year, no matter what, and they didn't give it to us. Right. And so I, of course, was like the, the leader of the like, Hey, <laughs> and mm-hmm. it, things like that kept happening. And I kept being the one to make noise. And I was the first to be fired. <laughs> Immediately, I was the troublemaker. I was I, I was oh brought gosh. into the office and been like, you need to basically calm down. 
You need to be more quiet. <laughs> you need to not. Mm-hmm. And I did. I lost my job. Lost my job because of it. Yeah. I wonder if that would have been the case if you had been a man. Possibly. But I would Probably guess not. no. And also, by the way. Might yeah. have gotten and in trouble. Also, I will mm-hmm. say I was, what, this was 2000. So I was like 29. <laughs> and so maybe yeah. I was also not overly skilled. <laughs> in how to have these conversations. My communication communication. was possibly a little aggressive, abrupt. Abrupt. Mm -hmm. So anyway, but so we learn, right? We do. We learn. We learn that it is not safe to use our voices at all. At all. At all. The other thing I want to add to that is, and that's what comes into the chapter around shining too bright, is that we also learn to not outshine Mm -hmm. other people. And it comes with the the notion that we are like one of our primary jobs as women is yep. to make everyone else comfortable. Mm-hmm. We are accommodating and nurturing and comforting. And, and, and I, I looked into the research on this, of course, part of it is nature. Like it is in our nature to be comforting and loving and to mother, but yeah, what costs? You're like, there's that line that goes into being overly accommodating. You know, the, again, we've been conditioned and socialized to be like, and so we we are terrified of. You know, I tell the story in in the book about when I was nine or ten years old, playing outside because that's what we did <laughs> <laughs> with some of my friends, and they were they were girls. And one of the girls was was riding her bike, and she was talking about another girl in our class who was not present at the time, and she said she thinks she's so hot. And I remember, I know like the hot girl summer term is popular now, but like this was a thing when we were younger, right? Like don't- Oh, you you think you're so great or you think you're hot or like, yeah, totally. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You think you're so hot. And I remember hearing her and feeling shame at that moment, even though she wasn't talking about me. And so like, there's these poignant moments that we all have in life, especially as girls and young women, where we- learn what it means to be accepted, learn what it means to, again, fit into this box. And I learned at a very young age that it wasn't okay to think that you were hot, to to have self-confidence, to stand out. I don't even remember this girl, like what was going on. Like I highly doubt she was showing off in any way. Who knows what was happening? But it's like these small moments that trigger things in our life can last yes. for decades. Absolutely. God, I have so many of those. I have so mm-hmm. many of those. The shame of having like the boys like you or, right? Like for some, right. like why that's shameful? Like, but we learn that, right? Mm-hmm. We learn that. Girls who develop early, yes, they're called names and they're, you know, considered quote unquote fast and and sluts and, or that, you know, spend too much time brushing their hair, putting on lip gloss in the, in the bathroom. There are so many like small things that can happen where we get categorized as something that we don't want to be or something that's quote unquote bad. And it really yeah, does. it sticks with us. I think that this, I think that this segues really nicely into your complete obsession with Cha-Cha Gregorio from Greece, right? Oh my God. <laughs> I love her so much. <laughs> You've always loved she doesn't, she doesn't get, get enough credit, credit. right? Because she's fucking hot and she fucking knows it. Right. She can dance right? like a champ. She, and she knows it. Like that's yes. the whole point. Regardless if she, okay. So for people who don't know, I'm sure all your listeners are familiar with the characters I hope of Greece. so. I don't know. We're getting so. <laughs> the play and. <laughs> getting up there. I don't know if I've ever seen oh. the play. 
I've only seen the movie with John. Travolta I saw the play, but it, John. It's, it's not the it's same. Not the same. It's not the same. Okay. Well, the movie is a cult classic, and and Chacha de Gregorio has very few scenes and very few lines. And I think what people probably remember the most is when it's not Kaniki. It's I forget what his name is who introduces her to the group, and he says, "Hey, I want you to meet." This is Charlene de Gregorio. And then she says, people call me Cha-Cha because I'm the best dancer at St. Bernadette's. Okay, let's stop for a moment before Frenchie replies. She just met these people. <laughs> <laughs> She's introducing herself as uh-huh. the best dancer at her school. Can I get right? some of that confidence? At the dance where she, and then she slut-shamed by what Frenchie is, what in the is next Frenchie's- line. And then at the fast forward to the dance contest at the gym, she takes Danny because she knows what she needs to win. She steals a date from somebody else. And then Sandy doesn't even fight for him. She just like throws her hands up and leaves the gym and they win the contest. And she's so this clip is on YouTube. She snatches the trophy out of the teacher's hand and waves it in the air. It's just I mean, I remember as a child, like I'm also just enamored by Hispanic women because my mom's family, like they're all Hispanic and Spanish is her first language. So I've always been drawn to these types of women who have so much fire, just fire, fire Mm -hmm. in them. Yes. And of course, like does Chacha do some like pretty crappy things? Of course. I'm, I'm not saying that you should go and steal people's dates and be like that. Like be nice, be kind, I should say. But just like, let's look at this from symbolism. She is also hated. Like even the YouTube comments, people are like, oh, I don't like that slut. It's like, what? (laughs) First of all, people take sides. She's a character in a movie. (laughs) Calm down. She's a character in a movie. And I'm, I'm so intrigued by pop culture. And, and I just, I, even as a child have have loved her. And I often ask myself like, what would Cha-Cha do? And I, I just, I love her embodiment of confidence. And even if we can just look at that and take, take away, why does that scare you? Why would it scare you to introduce yourself at work or at the PTA meeting as the, you know, I make the best Rice Krispie treats this side of Pasadena. I am the best salesperson in this region. I won awards. Like, do I recommend doing that? I mean, if you want, but that's not the point. The point that I'm trying to make is why would you be so terrified of doing that? What about that scares you? What tiny bit of that can you take away and bring into your life? That's, that's what I want people to think about. You know, I love, I love it. My, like my girlfriend has these brunches. Mm -hmm. We're having our very first one coming up this weekend since lockdown. This, this is going to air much later, but whatever. But this weekend in in today, while we're recording, it's our first one since the pandemic in, in like a year and a half. And we are so excited about it, but often we'll go around the room and it's just this, a group of, of like powerhouse women, mostly women of color, like super incredible humans. And we always go around the room and sort of introduce ourselves again. And I'm actually, I think I might steal this. I think this, like, that's the kind of, right. I think that that's the appropriate, like use of this, right. As an exercise, like, yeah. what are you the best at? What are you the best at? Mm-hmm. Yeah, what kind of awards did you get? Like I I I have a gallery wall in my office here and it's kind of new and I have all these like it's turned into like this raging feminist wall. But <laughs> one of the things that I put up is an award that I got my sophomore year in high school, this is 1991, where I got most outstanding junior varsity cheerleader. And I'm like, why not? <laughs> 
That's so amazing. I was just going through, because I was cleaning out this closet, and I was just going through all of my... God, the thing with about getting old is the amount of shit. <laughs> Did you accumulate? Yeah, like, mm-hmm. Boxes and boxes of shit. And I found, like, my honor camper from when I was, like, eight. <laughs> yeah. I found my college. I was like, here's, oh, here's my diploma. And I'm like, oh, and here's my like acknowledgement for like the most work for the alumni association. Oh, and here's my acknowledgement for being, I was like, I don't even remember these things. And Mm -hmm. I was like, what am I going to do with these? Maybe you're right. Maybe I'll put them up. Put them up. Yeah. And it just, it's one of those things where I personally have started to make these small steps to embrace all of my accomplishments because confidence switching gears here a little bit, like we're talking about self-confidence, like a lot of it has to do with competency and Mm -hmm. women. And this is like science tells us like women tend to not, we don't give ourselves as much credit as we actually deserve around how competent we actually are. We Mm -hmm. shortchange ourselves and undermine ourselves quite often, much more often than men do. And I'm sure you've heard of that study where women, I forget what it is, like men will will apply for a job if they only have like 50% of the qualifications needed and, and women will only apply if they can check off all, all of all them, the boxes. 100%. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's yep. really yep. interesting why we do this. Yep. And so again, it's like these small steps that I want people to take. And, and even before that, like the whole, I ask over 250 questions in this entire book because I'm a coach. That's what we do. <laughs> I, this is like a big book about unpacking. Like, let's unpack all of this because I don't want people to think you need to just know that you're playing small and not using your voice and then just go out there and do it. That's and that's that doesn't work. That's no, not it, it works, doesn't. Right. It doesn't. It's yep. not how right. it works. It's terrifying. <laughs> Some people have trauma. I mean, we have decades of patterns and these conscious and unconscious beliefs that we have been living by our entire lives. This is still work that I'm doing. I tell the story in the book that you were a part of where I got that message from that guy I went to high school with who humiliated me. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. He wanted a favor and he he clearly had no idea what he had done to me in high school. And I was like, hey, can we have a conversation about something that happened 27 years ago? He was like, okay. And then I was terrified. He said yes. And I was like, oh my God, what do I do now? Never mind. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say anything. I don't want to have this conversation. It doesn't matter. And you and Amy Smith talked me into it. Like these are still obstacles that even I, who am immersed in this, face all the time, and you as well. So this book is mostly about just unpacking all this bullshit that we've been fed our entire lives. We all drank the Kool-Aid because there was no other option. Right. It wasn't. We drank the Kool-Aid because <laughs> there was no water. No. <laughs> there was no tang. Right? It's the, no tang. <laughs> <laughs> no Capri Sun. Just it. the Kool-Aid. That was yep. it. That's it. That's it. Right. I just, I want to emphasize that it's not our fault. Like Mm -hmm. this is, this is how we were trained. And unless you had extremely progressive parents who were therapists and also feminists and you learned all of these things, which is not many of us. And by the way, like I did have a super feminist mom who was also extremely flawed and, and had her own internalized misogyny her own stuff. I mean, like, right. Like my, I remember sitting down speaking of your, that story with your mom, I remember sitting down to watch Mad Men when it first came out with my mom. And mm-hmm. after three episodes, she was like, I can't, I can't watch this. I lived this. This is my life. Yeah. This is literally my life. I don't want to watch this. And I was like, Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's probably super triggering for her. 
it was, it was super Mm -hmm. triggering. And as you say, like, I mean, I talk to my audience about this all the time. Like we get triggered. We have our trauma. I told, I don't know if I've told you guys this, but, but I went to, I called it trauma camp Mm -hmm. like last month. Sounds fun. (laughs) So fun. But I did, I got really super triggered and I was in a trauma state, like shut down, like literal trauma state. Like I was frozen staring at walls for over a week. And I ended up checking myself into a facility for a week to deal with my trauma. Mm-hmm. And I'm like mm-hmm. a coach. And I and, yeah. and I'm and here's the thing: being a coach and being someone who has had over 22 years of recovery and all of those things doesn't make me impervious and immune. I think this is what you're saying. It doesn't make me immune to the to those things. It makes me more aware. Right how to get help and where to get help. And I'm quicker to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm quicker exactly. to get out of it now. Right. doesn't mean that yeah. I don't get it. Right. doesn't mean I don't get triggered. That was really extreme, by the way, that, that whole situation, <laughs> that's not something that ever happened, <laughs> but it was, it was, it was intense. It was intense. Mm-hmm. And it was like, Oh, look, it's just an indicator, right? Like, Oh, look, there's a wound that hasn't healed. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And it it depends on the person. I am someone, I'm an eight on the Enneagram and eights tend to like when we're feeling that our values are being pushed up against, when we feel like our life is out of control, we immediately go to anger. And Mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of unusual for women. I know that I'm a little bit in the minority there, but for me, that's what I use as a gauge, sort of a litmus test to find out like, okay, what's going on? This is why I was so furious, like all through my late teens and and (laughs) twenties. I was an angry woman because of the endless right. street harassment, the misogyny that was all around me and the relationship that I was in through that entire time. And I didn't know it until I was in my early thirties, like what was actually happening, what I was so angry at. So for some people listening, it might be shame that they're feeling. It might be fear that they're feeling, but those feelings matter. And it's information that something is going on. And that's mm-hmm. what I want people to investigate. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's a, there's a chapter in your book actually called stop ignoring the brainwashing that's mm-hmm. making you small. Right. And I think that's sort of what we're talking about. We're talking about the brainwashing. We're talking about the fact that, right. This is the, this is the water we swim in the air we yep. breathe. Right. If we were fish, it would be the water, but we're humans. So it's the air we breathe. Right. <laughs> exactly. So it's important for us to actually separate ourselves out from these things and be able to see it for what it is. Mm-hmm. Right. Can you talk more about that, the brainwashing? Yeah, well, this whole chapter, this is my favorite chapter. It's also the longest one. And I was, I was, I wanted to open with this chapter, but my editor and I decided that it might scare people a little bit too much. So like, let's start out a little bit, a little bit not not so heavy. And it's not heavy, but I'm I'm call I'm basically that whole chapter is about how I'm calling out patriarchy and like what's happened to us and what mostly what we've been talking about. And I also, there's a couple of important things I I talk about in that chapter that I would, I would love to chat with you about Yeah, yeah. is internalized misogyny, you know, uh-huh. that I just mentioned a little while ago. And, and that was something I hadn't intentionally gone in to talk about. It was not in my book proposal, but mm. when I was researching this topic, it came up and terms like the patriarchal bargain, which is, is something that we, we do in order to, I forget who the woman is who coined that term. She's a Turkish researcher. I forget. And it's what women do, especially white women, what we do to 
have some kind of power and control. So we do things like are are racist towards people of color, especially towards black women. We, Mm -hmm. we do things like get procedures in plastic surgery. Like it's, it's these things that we do that keep us try to have power because we don't feel like we have any other way. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying anyway, that's a, that's a whole other conversation. And so internalized misogyny, that was a hard section to write because I see so much of it in myself. And I think sure. the vast majority of us have it and Absolutely. it manifests as chronic dieting. It manifests as slut shaming. It manifests as the kind of competition where I think there's very much such a thing as healthy competition, but the kind of competition where we are backstabbing and undermining other women at work or even within our own family structure, especially if it means being closer to men, the men who have the power. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. it sucks. I don't like it. <laughs> Probably because like I see it in myself it's and I'm like, hard. oh, God. Right. Yeah, but it's hard, right? Because again, it's the air we breathe. Again, it's the, I have a, I don't know if you feel this way, but I have a lot of, I have mixed feelings about it. Watching the, the youth of today, right. Mm-hmm. Raising a the youths. <laughs> youths. <laughs> and raising a teenager and like yeah. watching in so many ways, these kids are so far. It's like, they just took where we are and they were like, yeah, fuck that. And they created something entirely new and we're mm-hmm. like, Whoa. A new culture. Yeah, <laughs> I know a new youth are. culture. It's incredible. On the other hand, I also look at all the girls' Instagrams and they're like all these not like, a whole lot has changed. <laughs> not a whole lot has changed. Right. And it's uh it's like, whoa, you guys are having like these important conversations and then also this, right? And so it's like, yeah. oh, it's still there. It's not going anywhere. You know, I think it's it's gonna take generations for for things to change. You know, you and I were raised by boomers. I actually my parents are on the older spectrum. My mom's my not parents a boomer. Are part of the silent generation. Your mom what? My mom's 41. So she's actually not even concerned. So that's my that's the same year as my mom. So that yeah. that was the silent generation. That was right, that was before the boomer generation started. Mm-hmm. So that's a very different generation than obviously than what's happening now. But many Gen Xers like you and I are who were raised by these people grew up taking in and consuming all of these ideas and beliefs and then kind of had our awakening in some age. And then, you know, we're trying to raise different different children than how we were raised. And what science tells us is that it it will take generations for things to truly change widespread within the culture and society. So they're going to get things wrong and Mm -hmm. no fault of their own. They're sort of stumbling their way through it. Now, and I think it's interesting because it does, it takes many generations for it to change culturally and for us to make Mm -hmm. a shift, right? But it really only takes one generation to, to, to change specific patterns and beliefs, right? So I talk a lot in my work and on the podcast and with my clients about like leaving an abusive marriage is literally putting a stop to all of the cycles, right? You, cycle. you were here mm-hmm. because of this, a cycle that's probably gone on generations in your, totally. in your history and your family, right? And you leaving is a radical act that, that will change that for your children completely. <sighs> Yeah. And it's been interesting to watch over the years. I know that, you know, you come from a divorced, from divorced parents and Mm -hmm. so do I. Mm -hmm. And in my experience, you know, the story that I was given was that 
it was a radical act for my mom to leave her first husband in the 1960s. You know, they Mm -hmm. came from a Catholic upbringing. And then when she married my dad in the late 70s, or sorry, late 60s, I think she married him in 1970, and then was unhappy, but stayed with him Mm -hmm. until I graduated high school because still there was like the shame of of leaving. Mm -hmm. Right. And I'm glad to see that that is starting to shift and change, but I still think that there is a stigma for, I mean, like, and let's not even get into how difficult it is for women financially. <laughs> right. 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 Well, you write about money. You write about money. You write about money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What yeah. Is, yeah. Well, I could, I felt like I couldn't write about this topic and not talk about money. Like, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> if you're talking about making noise in your life and, and the radical act of stepping into your power, we have to talk about money. What I talk about in the book, again, it's just a ton of questions. It, it's really sort of money story 101 for, for people who have not done that work before. Mm-hmm. And some very interesting studies around how women typically don't negotiate salaries, especially right. their first salary, their first job out of out of school, the poverty rates for women who are elderly, et cetera, et cetera. And I also talk about power in that chapter because- like it or not, money equals power in the United States and in other places. And what I'm asking in the chapter is for women to examine their relationship with power. I'm not saying just like, go out there and get more more of it. Like, do you have a relationship with power? What, what do you think or feel when you think about that word? And there's a really great PDF out there. I'd love for you to drop it in the show notes for people to look at. It's only one page. And Brene Brown did a, an episode about power. And there was a the PDF. If you just Google Brene Brown power over PDF, she talks about the difference between power over versus power with. Yes. And it was such a good mm-hmm. explanation because power over is what we see in the United States government. That's dominant with the men at the top mm-hmm. trying to control women's bodies, et cetera, et cetera. And power with looks very different. And I, I won't get into the nuts and bolts of it, but that's my, my bottom line question is to examine your power. Like what if you had more, would it scare you? What kind of influence do you want to have? I mean, this also touches back to our values. Do you want to be able to donate money to causes that you care about? Politicians who are pushing towards policy change that you want to see, like that's the type of things I want people to think about. And I also talk about, you know, what's your relationship to debt? What's your relationship to being the damsel in distress and hoping mm-hmm. that someone's going to rescue you? Because that's also internalized misogyny that I'm like Huge. raising my hand over here. <laughs> Me too. Same, 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 same. Yep. Same, same. <laughs> yeah. Where's this man going to ride up on his horse and save me? And I I hated that about me. Mm-hmm. And personally, I had to unpack that. Like, where did that come from? Like, my mom always told me, don't rely on a man for money. Oh, my God. Yeah. And I did it. Well, you know, what's interesting is that with my mom, because my mom was single in the 70s mm-hmm. in New York City, and she was radical feminist at the time, and I don't need a man, but we were always poor, mm-hmm. no money. And, and I don't use the, we were, I mean, I'd say for the, for the time, like we were poor, (laughs) there was a roof over our heads and stuff like that. Right. You were challenged financially. We were financially Mm -hmm. very challenged. My dad did not support, there was no child support happening. There was like, it was my mom, single mom. She was an actress and she was putting herself through graduate school in New York city while I was getting, while I was Mm -hmm. growing up. 
And so, so that's how, like, I was raised with this, like, this notion of like, you don't need a man, but also if you don't have one, <laughs> life yeah, really sucks. What your life is. <laughs> right. You probably saw friends that had two parents and the dad worked and maybe the mom stayed home and, and they had a different life than you. And they were, well, and cause I was the scholarship kid at my private school, mm-hmm. like they were all the two family houses, whole households were all loaded. Yeah. Like, they were very, very, very wealthy. And then there was me. Uh-huh. <laughs> with one parent. So I think in my, in my child's brain, like, yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what that meant. So yeah. Yeah. Yep. And that's part of what I'm talking about. Again, it's like, I want you to, to look back and think about all of these stories around money and, and also who were your role models growing up and specifically around wealth and yes. career and investing like do you did you know any woman who had a career in banking or finance i certainly didn't. i sure didn't I tell no, the it was story all men. in the book about yeah Listen, it was all men I like my to... first role model or, or not not role model but like my first media person character was cruella deville who was self-made there was literally no one else when we were young no and that matters those types of things matter so i'm asking people to look at that examine it and just ask yourself the hard questions with no judgment, right. no judgment. Right. It is what it is. Right. Exactly. Have some compassion and we can only move forward. So for instance, like I got a new financial advisor and it's a woman because I want my daughter to see women in finance. And I also want to be surrounded by, by women who talk about money. I also talk about money more with my friends now because why not? Right. <laughs> Why not? Men do it all the time. Right. Yep. Absolutely. I just had an episode with my friend Amanda Steinberg, who wrote the book Worth It and created the Daily Worth. And mm-hmm. you know, I know Amanda. You know Amanda. Yeah. Right. And like talking about women, women empowering women financially. Right. Like she created the Daily Worth because because most financial literature was in like code, <laughs> it was in like man mm-hmm. code basically. Right? Yeah. And there's no reason for that. There's literally no reason for it. So, oh my gosh, what else? I feel like, is there anything else about the book? Like that you, I mean, obviously everyone needs to go and buy it and read it. I wasn't, we wanted to talk about resilience. You know, and as someone who's, who's been divorced before, we talked about that the last time I was on your Mm -hmm. show, if anybody Mm -hmm. wants to go back and listen to that. Yep. We'll drop that. And that was, let me think for a second. I would say. Yeah, that was the most difficult thing I've ever been through in my life, going through my divorce and the aftermath. And I will also say I didn't have children mm-hmm. with him. And I know that that adds a humongous extra layer of Can you imagine if you had pain. kids with him? And how? No. I, mean, <laughs> I don't even like to think about it. Yeah. So I just wanted to, to, to throw that out there. Mm-hmm. I think the only thing I want to say is, and this is probably maybe not what people want to hear. But I I think that when we are in those places where we feel, we might feel hopeless, helpless. I I know personally, I felt desperate at times. Like I will do anything to get out of this pain and fear and sorrow that I have. Just agony, just total agony every day. Yep. And there was nothing. All I could do was lean on people who truly were helpful. And it was just hanging out with them. And sometimes I needed some sympathy. Sometimes I needed people to be on team Andrea. And and that worked for a while. And and it just I think my bottom line is like you have to just 
get through it. And, and if you're grasping at straws to try to read the perfect book or, and I'm not saying like, don't get educated, like for sure, educate yourself around divorce laws and, you know, your finances yes. and all of those things that you learn about on Kate's podcast. And as, and in terms of like your emotional stuff, it w- <sighs> this is going to sound so cliche. It will pass. One of the things I used to do, I got a regular wall calendar to like $9.99 at CVS. <laughs> and I would get a Sharpie and I would I would cross the days out as they went because I wanted to see progress. I wanted a mm. visual of time actually going by because yeah. people kept promising me that time heals all wounds, which is not entirely true. By the not, way. By the way. <laughs> Helps a little bit. <laughs> but I know that if people are listening account. to this podcast, <laughs> yeah, I know that they're also invested in their own personal growth and self-care and things like that. But it just, resilience is about a lot of, yes, like tangible things to do. But at the end of the day, you just have to keep putting one foot in front of the other mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and stand up for yourself as best you can. Pick your battles, like all of those things that you hear all the time and and write it out. Yeah. And so what is the resilience piece in that? Like, it's like you're building resilience as you do that. Like every day that you cross off the calendar is like another muscle, another Mm -hmm. sort of day of strength training or like, (laughs) right. Well, the, the logistics of resilience are about Mm self-compassion. Like not beating yourself up for where you're at, or if you binge on an entire pizza and a pint of Ben and Jerry's because you're (laughs) so consumed with grief, that's okay. Just get up the next day and take some Alka-Seltzer because I know that would just totally screw my stomach all that dairy. (laughs) Uh, It's also about, as I quickly mentioned, having the right support system. So if you are still kind of in the middle of his family and his mother-in-law is on your case, like set boundaries. Unfriend, stop following them all Unfriend, block people. It was so incredibly helpful for me to join support groups. So this was before Facebook Mm -hmm. and social media. And so do you remember iVillage.com? No, (laughs) I do not. It was the best. It was like one of the earliest message board forum Uh, type of things. uh And they had all different topics. It was kind of like Reddit. Yeah. But for people who were- Or like Yahoo groups kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. uh And uh they had a divorce support group for women and Mm -hmm. I made friends there. Like, (laughs) And it was so- My Facebook group is that. That is what my Facebook group is. Yeah, absolutely. Find people who understand what you're going through and ask for what you need. Mm-hmm. You know, if you go happy hour with your friends and they are trying to make you feel better by saying, oh, you know, it's not that bad or like they're putting a silver lining on it and you are really in the weeds and you need them to just commiserate with you in the moment, tell them, just be really kind about it and say, thank you so much for just showing up here today and helping me by pointing out all the great things that there are. And what would make me feel so loved and supported is if you just held my hand right now while I cried for 10 minutes and then we can finish our margaritas. People want to know how to help you. Yes. And sometimes we don't know, right? Sometimes we don't, we literally don't know what we need, but if we do, it's important to say it because like, because the people around us actually really do want to be there for us. They actually do want to help us. Yes. 
sometimes we don't know, but we definitely know when someone shows up the wrong way and we feel it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Of course, people are doing their best. They right. are, they have great intentions. So choose your words carefully when you say, you know, I do this to my husband all the time and, and I, I thank them for whatever it is that they just did and say, I, you know, I so appreciate what you just said. And I know that you love me so much. And I, I really think what would help me more is if we just didn't talk about him for the next couple of hours. Like, what do you think? Mm-hmm. Right. It might sting yes. a little bit for the other person, but like, I would so much rather my friend be honest with me and tell me how I can, I can be really awesome for them rather than just smile along while something that I said inadvertently hurt them. Yep. Yeah. And this is part of, and like, this is like, this is making like a little squeak, right? Right. (laughs) This is, this is your, this is one of the steps towards making noise. Yeah. And that's also big girl friendships right there. (laughs) Right. Right. Absolutely. Oh my God. Yeah. It is big girl friendships, right? It's big girl friendships, but, and, and it's like the safest place to practice. It's the safest place to practice using your voice and making more noise and more noise and more noise. Exactly. Thank you, Kate. You get it. (laughs) That's why we're friends. Okay. So in closing, you wrote a short poem that's in the opening of the book and it's called Burn It Down. Will you read it for us and take us out with that? Yes. It's called Burn It Down. You ready? (laughs) Ready. Okay. She had fire in her belly and she used it to summon her truth. She had fire in her soul and she used it to remember where she came from. She had fire in her heart and she used it to trust the women who came before her. She had fire in her spirit and she used it to show other women their own flames. She had fire in her eyes and she used it to burn it all down. She had fire in her every being and she used it to blaze a new path, a new way, a new life. I feel like that's so appropriate for your listeners. It is. There are a lot of women who are going to print that out and they're going to put that up on their walls. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Sometimes you need to burn it down in order or in order to rebuild. And and Lord knows I've done that a couple of times in my life. Yeah, absolutely. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. Andrea, thank you so much for coming on and talking about Welcome. making noise. And we have to do it again more sooner <laughs> than the sooner last rather time. Than later. Yeah. yeah. Can I tell people where to get a bunch of bonuses that are free? You can tell them at where to find you, where to get bonuses. You can tell them everything, all the things. Please I'll keep it simple. So I know it's easy to get overwhelmed on the internet. So the bonuses for the book are at andreaowen.com slash noise. And it's for anyone who's purchased the book. Doesn't matter if it's audio, Kindle, print book. And we made a really beautiful workbook that asks all those 250 questions that I mentioned for you to be able to <laughs> print it out if you want. I, I'm pretty sure it might be fillable online. And that's that's all on that page. And then I'm at Hey Andrea Owen on Instagram and TikTok. Are your people awesome. on TikTok? It's so fun. My people are on TikTok. I wasn't okay, sure. Good. I wasn't sure. If that, I wasn't sure. And then I went on and I was like, oh, look, you guys are here. Okay. <laughs> I guess yeah, it's super going. fun. Yeah. Hey Andrea Owen, both on Instagram and TikTok. Awesome. Okay. Andrea, thank you so much. I adore you. Thanks, babe. Just, Same. I'm so happy to have you in my life. And it's like, I don't think I would be, I don't think I would be where I am in my life and business if I didn't have you 
in my life. Oh, thank you. And I, I want to say this too, like for your listeners to hear as well. Like if I always tell Kate that if I ever need a friend to go grab her fiery torch and come burn shit down with me <laughs> or burn someone down with me, then I call Kate. <laughs> yep. I'm that friend. I'm like, who do I need to get fired up with me about this? I don't, I don't need sensical. I don't need logic. I just need sheer fire and, and fury. I'm the, oh, hell no. Friend. <laughs> Speed dial. Number one. Hilarious. Hilarious. Everyone go buy Andrea's book. Make some noise. It's really good. Like, You'll like it. In the show notes. You guys will love it. I promise. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. If you like what you hear, head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in and leave me a review. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at the Divorce Survival Guide. I'll see you next time. And until then, remember, you, my love, deserve to be happy.